Hello and welcome to our 50th episode of How Are You Holding Up, a mental health podcast by the depressed for the depressed. I'm Chris. And I'm Lindsay. And we both want to start off by letting you know that we are doing fairly well. Yes, we are both holding up. Things are going well. And this is going to be kind of a different episode in that we are not going to be talking about ourselves and our experiences too much, but we are going to pay tribute to probably the the greatest source of inspiration that we got for starting this podcast. 100%. And that would be Mr. Rogers, Mr. Fred Rogers. Fred Rogers. Of Mr. Rogers Neighborhood. If you are, um, if you are younger and maybe didn't get the opportunity. The privilege. The privilege, yeah. To, uh, to grow up watching Mr. Rogers. Um, I know that the current generation of kids have got, um, Daniel Tiger, which is basically a continuation of, like, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood-ish. But it's animated and it involves, you know, Daniel Tiger, one of the puppets from the neighborhood of make-believe. Yes. But, um, this episode in particular, where we wanted to kind of just talk about Mr. Rogers and how much he inspired us, how much he's helped us. And what he stood for and how it changed society and how we hope that this podcast in some small way is a continuation of that and we've made our own little neighborhood. Yes. Um, and we guess we'll just jump in. So uh, first and foremost, we want to um, talk about why we're doing this episode. So rather than focusing on some heavier things, we want to focus on the helpers. Yes. Uh, one, of the, one of the quotes that kind of made Mr. Rogers uh, kind of relevant again recently was uh, a a quote that's been kind of jumping around left and right, where he talked about looking for the helpers. Um, It was uh, him referring to something his mother would tell him, and this quote came about after the 9-11 attacks. Uh, It became famous during that. Yeah, yeah. that was basically, he had retired um, in 2000, I think, and... You know, two two years later, like you know, one year and some change later, this horrible national tragedy had occurred. Now, this wasn't Mister Rogers' first brush with national tragedy. He had also been around after, for, for many, the, yeah, for many the things. the JFK assassination, the Challenger explosion, the the Iran conflict. It was it was a lot. It was a lot that he had had to go through and explain to children. Which was never a, it was never really 100% a let's lie to the kids. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's remember um, times are so different. That's the wonderful thing about society is that things keep moving and things keep evolving. And how we deal with our youth and how we deal with each other changes drastically. And Chris and I were raised in a time by parents mm-hmm. um, who had been raised themselves to really not Um, express their feelings fully, not rely on their feelings, and to kind of push them down. Um, They were also really the first generation to start having divorce Mm -hmm. at a younger, you know, um, and 
there was a lot of change happening for us. And so we were raised by parents, I think, who did, who in some ways unintentionally um, did harm. Mm -hmm. I think that always happens. But for us growing up, it was a little bit more about don't talk about feelings or just kind of squish it down and just Mm -hmm. keep going, rub some dirt in it. And so um, Fred Rogers for both of us, uh, became very meaningful. Um, having a show that you can rely on to explain what these big scary feelings are, what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so why don't you share your story first <laughs> about why he means so much to you? Well, so so this is something that we've we've kind of touched on in episodes in the past. But um, I am an only child. Uh, I have continued to be an only child uh, growing up. And I, as a result, was kind of a lonely child. I didn't have, I mean, I was extroverted, Mm -hmm. but I was an introverted extrovert. So I just made friends with the weird kids Mm -hmm. because they were like me. I could, I could relate to them while other kids were wanting to play, you know, maybe want to play sports or, you know, ball of some sort. I, I wanted to play pretend. I wanted to be Sonic the Hedgehog or a Power Ranger, or I wanted to be Indiana Jones. You know, I, I fell more in love with the idea of playing pretend than I ever did with anything that was concrete and built in this reality. One of the reasons why I was drawn mostly to video games later in life, but that's, I mean, from an early age also, but that's beside the point. So Mr. Rogers to me was always the champion of imagination. There was never anything wrong with pretending to, you know, maybe you pretended that you had a friend when you were completely by yourself, or you were pretending that you were not in a room with screaming parents it it was a lot of just like embracing that world that other world that did not have to be as dark or scary as the one that you lived in uh he helped me kind of like I, i channeled it eventually into acting and i channeled it into you know being creative in different ways but no other like programming no other no other thing growing up really helped me embrace the idea of use your mind to the best of its ability to create the world that you want to create nothing ever embraced it quite like mr rogers um And later on in life, I would learn more about him as a person and what he had done. um, For public service. For public service, for public public broadcasting. Which we'll get into. We absolutely will. But, you know, it it was a lot of things that growing up, I didn't know I needed until I had it. How about you? (laughs) I love that, by the way. Thank you. I had a scary childhood. Um, My parents divorced when I was very young, and I think a therapist told them that it was best to tell us why so we didn't blame ourselves. And the reasoning was uh, confusing and also scary. Um, 
and I think taught me about some things that maybe I wasn't ready to know. I was about three or four at the time. My father was an angry man, and so I always felt unsafe, and men were scary. Most men in my life were, you know, you're little little kids, so they're big, and he was loud, and he was angry, and, you know, he would hurt my mother, and I would see her cry, so it was a scary time for me. My childhood um, was confusing, and then there was a show that wasn't necessarily the most entertaining in terms of flashy cartoons or really, you know, popping colors and action, it was um, safe. And to see a man being kind and gentle and thoughtful and him having the rhythm of coming in, taking off his jacket, putting on his indoor jacket and everything just being clean and safe. And then he would take us into an imagination world with the train. And for me as well, I was also an imagination kind of kid. I I was not... Um, I got beat up on a lot as a little kid in elementary school and uh, middle school, and I didn't really fit in. And so there was this other world where you were his neighbor, and you had a whole neighborhood of, you know, different little beings who you knew were puppets, but they also had their own character. And as a child, they become real to you. And so when they he talked about divorce, and um, and he talked about it with a puppet so it's like this childlike character discussing it with an adult and watching that intercourse was just really um sacred Mm -hmm. and special and um and that's where it started for me and then uh the importance for mr rogers for us as adults (laughs) was really yeah he was the impetus for the show and we've discussed this before but Chris and I had drifted apart uh, as adult friends just because life, I had moved around, we'd gone to, had different jobs. We always kept in contact here and there, would get dinners and so Mm -hmm. forth. But at this point, it had been a few years, and I saw that uh, there was a documentary coming out, and it was called... um, Won't You Be My Neighbor? Won't You Be My Neighbor? Mm -hmm. And I made a Facebook post, and I said, if anyone wants a safe place to cry... Uh, I'm going to see this movie. I will bring tissues if you'd like to accompany me. Because um, the trailer had already gotten me emotional. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew it was going to be powerful. Um, because this was not just a television show. This was a man who was fighting for um, mental and emotional health of people who don't have power to do so for themselves. Mm-hmm. And so Chris messaged me out of the blue and said, Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And we went, and we watched it, and we wept. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I used all of my tissues in my tissue box. <laughs> we cried so hard. And we went out, and we started, We sat down, and we're like, we need to to follow suit with this. Mm-hmm. This uh, protection and exploration of health and emotions and... Specifically, the, the, the openness of it. Uh, because both of us, like we'd mentioned, um, the discussion of feelings was kind of something that both of us bottled up. We didn't really discuss ourselves openly, honestly. It was very much a not-to-do kind of thing. Yeah, you know, my mom was really amazing. She was a strong woman, and she was a hard worker, and I don't think she had a lot of time to sit around and be emotional. And my father, like I said, was very angry, and when I would get emotional as a child and start crying, I would get yelled at. Or it would become worse. Mm-hmm. So for me, and I'm and I'm still as an adult, obviously, a very emotional person, but it was, yes, stifle it, stifle it, put it down, put it down. Don't be so sensitive. You're being too sensitive. And he was... Yeah, my, see, yeah, Mr. Rogers was just this 
welcome breath of yeah, fresh like air. Fresh air. Like and watching the that documentary reminded me of that. I had I had similar experiences where my dad was very closed off. Um, but it was kind of a it was kind of just a program of how he was raised which was very psychologically and physically abusive so he was in a similar situation of i don't i don't know what to do with this child yeah (laughs) i'm not entirely sure and my mom on the other hand uh was was hyper emotional so it was the complete opposite she was just you know it, it was it was off and on on how she would feel or you know she was on antidepressants and whatnot so there was a lot of times where i felt kind of okay well i I, my problems are nowhere near as bad (laughs) so i i I have no room to complain or make a fuss or anything right no no you you don't and i was taught to be grateful for what i had as a young child and to think about yes things are bad but think about how bad it is for other people and i think that can be a good practice but it also shuts down what you were actually going through Mm -hmm. i think um and i don't know if you guys feel this and I think we're, it's so inundated in our culture and who we all are that we forget that it's just like you, you have to stifle what you're feeling all the time. Yes. And being too sensitive or too um, thoughtful, maybe you find yourself being really thoughtful and really verbally affectionate and people are put off by that. Mm-hmm. Maybe you find that when you're too open about what you've been going through, people look uncomfortable. And... I just wish that there was more of an invitation to be absolutely and completely who you are. Not rave, raging emotional, you no, know, weeping and stuff, but no. just being sensitive to things. I mean, this is... Nobody should ever feel bad for just being able to say, hey, I'm not feeling good right now. And having somebody else be like, well, let's sit down, let's talk about it for a while. Would you like that or would you just like someone to be here with you? Mm-hmm. You Nobody even, everyone's just like, oh, okay. You know, there's really no discourse on, um, people just don't seem to know how to handle feelings. <laughs> like, it's this no. bizarre, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> feelings? <laughs> no, I can't, I, <laughs> I'm so, still. I think that's why Mr. Rogers, for us, like, he just is such a quiet strength in that it's, you know, these are real things and it's, you're not being too emotional. You're being who you are and exactly who you're supposed to be. And that's special and important. And so he's done so much good for us and also for society now. So not just what he, you know, did personally, but like we said, public servant wise. Mm -hmm. Yes. There was a, specifically one of the things that really inspired me was in 1969, um, Mr. Rogers was out on the Senate floor discussing the future of public television. Uh, basically, <laughs> the him, guy was did not want to give the money. No, they wanted to slash the budget of PBS to ten million. Ten yeah. million for the entire country of PBS broadcasting. It was which is nothing next to nothing. Um, he discussed. Um, it was him and like a team of PBS lobbyists and whatnot. But the thing is. Every single person who came before him had no effect. It was completely uh, denied. Uh, they, they just Said were shut no, down. They were just not. like, we don't give a crap about your numbers. Until Fred Rogers went up and was earnest and forthright and completely and totally, like, disarming uh, the Senate hearing. Just went, I mean, starting it off with, I have a philosophical statement. It would take me 10 minutes to read it. I'm not going to do that. 
but I'm going to trust that you are going to read this when we are done. And he went on to explain that trust is one of the first things that a child learns and that the standing of being able to trust someone is so incredibly important. It's like, right right away, um, the, the, the senator was just like, uh, yeah, if it'll make you feel better, you can read it now. And he's like, no, no. I trust that you'll read it. I trust that you'll read it. <laughs> and then he went on. Um, but there is a, uh, a quote in particular. And I'm going to actually just play the clip here. Yes, enjoy. This is what I give. I give an expression of care every day to each child to help him realize that he is unique. I end the program by saying, you've made this day a special day by just your being you. There's no person in the whole world like you, and I like you just the way you are. And I feel that if we in public television can only make it clear that feelings are mentionable and manageable, we will have done a great service for mental health. Uh, I think that it's much more dramatic that two men could be working out their feelings of anger, much more dramatic than showing something of gunfire. And that's the thing. I feel that if we in public television can only make it clear that feelings are mentionable and manageable, we will have done a great service for mental health. That in and of itself. And that was 1969. Yeah. That, I mean, that was so before anybody was discussing this kind of stuff. Nobody, hardly anybody was discussing the public need for mental health. The, it's if you just sit for a moment and think about the shows and the movies you've watched, the songs you've heard, the games you've played, if you think about the memes you've looked at and the gifs and the video after video after video of laugh tracks of people falling and hurting themselves and embarrassing themselves, of the war movies you've seen, the violence against each other, the hardening of emotions to be strong, and think about how that's impacted you and remember how you were as a child, maybe versus where you are now, and think about maybe how that could have been different had TV been just a little bit different, a little bit more loving and caring of who you are as a person and your growth as a human being. Maybe some of the stuff would have prepared us better for life or for each other. It's entirely possible. I think something to be said, though, is that be because of people like Mr. Rogers um, and, and the shows that we grew up with, there are a lot of shows now that are so much better mm. about getting people to to recognize the goodness in themselves and in others. Uh, shows like, you know, Steven Universe, for example, mm -hmm. is a fantastic show, incredibly driving uh, in showing imagery of inclusivity and being who you are and loving who you are and you know a lot of that message kind of comes from that mr rogers standpoint which is incredible to think about that it has continued through other media not related to him yeah and i think it's important to keep driving that and of course i'm not putting down 
um, other shows or stuff. I, I'm thinking more in terms of we have this power yeah. to have to reach millions of billions of people. Mm-hmm. What are we actually showing them? Mm-hmm. What are we teaching them? What are we teaching each other and how to treat each other and how to treat ourselves? Mm-hmm. You know, when you when I know when I was growing up and I was thinking about what a relationship looked like or what I was supposed to look like, I often thought of things I'd seen in the media, heard in music. Mm-hmm. So just a little thing about that. But another thing um, that Mr. Rogers did for society was his uh, confrontation of racism. Yeah. Um, and how in 1969, he invited, um, Fran- I think it's Francois Clemens. Yeah. Officer Clemens. Officer Clemens. He was a, he was a character on the show and he was a black man. And he had a recurring role as a police officer. And at the time, there was, I don't know if it's talked about a lot, but um, people had, how did this go? There was a swimming pool, and people were swimming in it of all colors. Mm-hmm. And a man came in, or several men came in and started dumping acid in the swimming pool. Yes, this was a thing that was going on during segregation and the fight for civil rights. It was a major, major horrible thing. It was, was horrific. It was caught on uh, film, I think. They, there was, like, pictures of it. Um, but uh, all the same, it all boiled down to that segregation argument. And yeah. here's Fred Rogers inviting a black man to yeah. dip his feet. They didn't want black people to come swimming in the pool. No. And so, yeah, so Fred Rogers rolled up his... He invited him to yeah. come in. Roll up his pant legs. They were they were just soaking their feet in the, in the pool. Kitty pool together. In the kiddie pool together. Yeah. And what a powerful, just visual mm-hmm. for children and families to see. And it's quiet and strong. Yeah. And um, Fred Rogers not only was showing that, you know, the skin didn't matter, but as he was getting out of the tub, he helped him dry his feet. Yep. And I just... <laughs> I just think that's so lovely um, and special and showing that masculinity um, doesn't have to be boorish or forceful, or, or forceful, aggressive, no. cold. No, nope. it can be loving and warm and thoughtful and nurturing as well. Mm-hmm. As somebody who kind of has grown up also not the most masculine man, I, I, uh, I wholeheartedly understand that kind of standpoint where it's just like, look, I I will be the first to tell you there is not an athletic bone in my body. There is not a there is not a masculine trait that I really hold as something I want to embrace, per se. Yeah. Like, the only thing that I want to do is be a good person. It doesn't matter if I'm doing it through masculine means or feminine means or whatever means it is. I just want to be a good person. Doesn't matter how I do it at that point. That's a really just, powerful thing to say. Just being a good person. How hard is that? And I think sometimes we lose sight of those kind of things, of how to be kind and connected and mm-hmm. strong in the right ways. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, it's how much can you fit into these specific slots and not promoting how to be special and promoting your own strengths of who you are naturally. Mm-hmm. You're constantly trying to control. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 
Um, I have a quote from him that, and a little story that I thought was really powerful. Um, he He's quoted saying, Confronting our feelings and giving them appropriate expression always takes strength, not weakness. It takes strength to acknowledge our anger, and sometimes more strength yet to curb the aggressive urges anger may bring on, and to channel them into nonviolent outlets. It takes strength to face our sadness and to grieve and to let our grief and our, and our anger flow in tears when they need to. It takes strength to talk about our feelings and to reach out for help and comfort when we need it. And I think that's one of the more beautiful ways of putting it. Um, yeah. And I know that we hear it a lot, but having somebody, I don't know, older remind you of that, someone grandfatherly mm-hmm. telling you that, I think is lovely. Anybody who's been through anything really i mean to be honest it's 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 hard to imagine going through life without any form of guidance without yes. any without anybody being able to tell you hey it may seem like things are really bad right now but they're going to be okay yeah like we we don't have that voice nearly as much as we used to no and that's why we are celebrating him now yes <laughs> um so other, a few other things that he did just a a couple mentions um, that I, I I think about from time to time was he had a child show, as we've discussed, and on his children's show, he talked about death. Mm-hmm. He talked about divorce. Mm-hmm. He discussed how to deal with large tragedies. And um, as you said earlier, after 9-11, he came back on to do a special on 9-11 and tragedy. Yeah. And well, it was, it was just, a, it was that, that whole thing of yeah. just... Looking for the helpers. Looking for the helpers. But one of the things that people don't really know about that whole experience was he faced doubts. Yes. About how much it would help. He was genuinely concerned that, you know... We'd gone too far. That there was no helping. That the, it didn't the, matter. It, it, he, he had lived in New York for many years. He'd lived in Pennsylvania for many years. He'd lived all the places that were affected by the 9-11 attacks. He'd lived in them. And so he was personally, like, feeling 100%, like, holy hell, this is terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, but he faced those doubts and still... Went forward, went on TV publicly and just let everyone know that everything was going to be okay. That whatever whatever horror you're feeling right now, there are people out there who are doing good. Yes. And I think um, some people think, oh, you know, Fred Rogers, he was great for TV and he was, um, you know, a personality. But was he really like that in person on a one-on-one basis. And I'm just going to read you guys a story that I stumbled on while researching him and kind of reading about his life. So he's, uh, it's by a guy, Anthony uh, Bresnikan. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are sharing their this quote after the heartbreak in Manchester. It's also the 50th anniversary of Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Um, As I got older, I lost touch with the show, but kept return- kept running through 2001. But in college, one day, I rediscovered it. I was having a hard time. The future seemed dark. I was struggling, lonely, dealing with a lot of broken pieces, and not adjusting well. 
I went to Pitt and devoted everything I had to the school paper, hoping that it would propel me into some kind of worthwhile future. It was easy to feel hopeless. One span was especially bad. Walking out of my dorm, I heard familiar music. Won't you be my neighbor? The TV was playing in an empty common room. Mr. Rogers was there, asking me what I do with, with the mad I feel, and I had lots to spare. Um, it feels silly to say it felt silly then, but I stood, mesmerized. His show felt like a cool hand on a hot head. I left feeling better. Then, days later, something amazing happened. Uh, the doors opened while I was in the elevator, and there was Mr. Rogers. I kept it together at first, but when Mr. Rogers went to walk away, I couldn't miss the opportunity to say something. The doors opened, and he let me out first. I go, but I turn around. Mr. Rogers, I don't mean to bother you, but I wanted to say thanks. He smiles, but this has to happen to him every ten feet. Did you grow up as one of my neighbors? I felt like crying. Yeah, I was. He opens his arms, lifting his satchel for a hug. It's good to see you again, neighbor. I got to hug Mr. Rogers' neighbor. Uh, Mr. Rogers. Um, I said thanks for that. Mr. Rogers nods. He paused. He undid his scarf. He motions to the window and sat down on the ledge. This is what Miss... Uh, this is what sets him apart. No one else would have done this. He says, do you want to tell me what's upsetting you? So I sat. I told him my grandfather had died. He was one of the few good things I had. I felt adrift, broken-hearted. I felt, I like to think I didn't go on and on, but pretty soon he was telling me about his grandfather and a boat the old man bought him as a kid. Uh, Mr. Rogers asked how long ago Pop had died. It was a couple months. His grandfather was obviously gone decades. He still wished the old man was here, wished he still had the boat. You'll never stop missing the people you love, Mr. Rogers said. Um, so he says those kind of things never go away. And I'm sure my eyes looked like stewed tomatoes. <laughs> but finally, I said thank you and apologized if I made him late for an appointment. Sometimes you're right where you need to be, he said. So if you've ever wondered if Mr. Rogers was who he was, says he is, Mr. Rogers was there for him. So that's the story of this guy meeting him on <laughs> and um, <laughs> kind of that one-on-one. -on -one. And I, and I, I, that might have been... I felt like that was a really special story because it was just a quiet little thing that Mr. Fred Rogers never thought anybody would share or talk mm -hmm. about. Yeah. And I think that's the kind of kindness and compassion we need to have for each other. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to end this episode a little bit differently than usual. Um, in 1997, um, Mr. Rogers won a Lifetime Achievement Award. Uh, he was joined on stage by um, Jeff Erlinger, who had visited him in the neighborhood. He was a young boy who had a handicap and showed Mr. Rogers. Basically, it was one of the most brilliant moments of television of all time. And he was still alive, joined him on stage. 
And Mr. Rogers had this beautiful speech. Um, we're probably going to link all of these moments in, yes. <laughs> in the uh, in the episode description. description but um, he asked for one specific thing. And we would like you to um, go along with it, and we'll do it with you. And, um, and here's the clip. But how do we make goodness attractive? By doing whatever we can to bring courage to those whose lives move near our own. By treating our neighbor at least as well as we treat ourselves. And allowing that to inform everything that we produce. Who in your life has been such a servant to you? Who has helped you love the good that grows within you? Let's just take 10 seconds to think of some of those people who have loved us and wanted what was best for us in life those who have encouraged us to become who we are tonight. Just 10 seconds of silence. I'll watch the time. And that's time. Thank you guys for joining us for our 50th episode. It's been a wonderful adventure with you for these last, um, last almost, year. almost a year now. Yeah. Um, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, if you are going through a hard time right now, things are going to get better. We're right there with you. And we're not going anywhere. And we're all glad that we're in the same neighborhood. And as always, don't, don't tell, tell us, us to just get, get over it. it. Well, I suppose it's an invitation. Won't you be my neighbor? Uh, it's an invitation for uh, somebody to be close to you. You know, I think everybody longs to be loved and longs to know that he or she is lovable. And consequently, the greatest thing that we can do is to help somebody know that they're loved and capable of loving. <laughs>